Well, hello again. <laughs> As always, thanks for tuning in, folks. PCC Sustain Me is jazzed to have joined forces with The Bridge, Portland Community College's student newspaper. This means there will be a weekly column online for your eyeballs to enjoy with the weekly episodes. Isn't that nice? And we are super duper stoked to be working in partnership with Gypsum, the Greater Portland Sustainability Education Network as well. You can connect and access the program via gpsen.org too. Now the podcast has multiple cozy places to call home. (laughs) Okay, well, back to the program we go. From Portland Community College, this is PCC Sustain Me. I'm Joe Colhane, and today my guest is Kelsey Juliana of the Juliana vs. United States, and what many people are calling the climate trial of the century. Boom, boom, darkness falls, headlights in the afternoon. So, in the last episode, I brought up the Juliana v. U.S. case along with some other current events and reports that are all pointing to the imminent climate crisis we are facing. Since then, there has been another report out from our very own United States government, a massive release of information uh, interestingly and uh, perhaps strategically released, it would seem, while they thought nobody was looking. Uh, It was the day after Thanksgiving. You know the day. We've come to call it Black Friday, the most glorious holiday of our consumer culture. I'm uh, I'm sure there's some irony in all of that somewhere. (laughs) Well, As I was researching the uh, Youth v. Gov case, I thought I'd reach out to the plaintiff whose name is attached to the case. Kelsey Juliana is from Eugene, Oregon, and is a student at the University of Oregon as well. And it just seemed fitting to see if she would be a guest on the program. Uh, Needless to say, I was pleased as can be when she said she would be up for it. But before we get any further along and into that talk I was honored to have with Kelsey, I would first like to acknowledge that this program is being recorded on the traditional village sites of the Multnomah, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Bands of the Chinook, Tualatin Kalapuya, Molala, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. Multnomah is a band of Chinooks that lived in this area. We thank the descendants of these tribes for being the original stewards and protectors of these lands since time immemorial. We also acknowledge that Portland, Oregon has the ninth largest urban Native American population in the U.S., with over 380 federally recognized tribes represented in the urban Portland metropolitan area. We also acknowledge the systemic policies of genocide, relocation, and assimilation that still impact many indigenous Native American families today. We are honored by the collective work of many Native nations, leaders, and families who are demonstrating resilience, resistance, revitalization, healing, and creativity. We are honored to be guests upon these lands. 
Thank you, and thanks also to our colleagues at the Portland State University Indigenous Nation Studies Program for crafting this acknowledgement. So, Kelsey Juliana is one of the 21 youth plaintiffs who are connected to the Our Children's Trust climate trial that was filed back in 2015 and has yet to make it into court. The latest developments were for it to go to trial on October 29th, though once again, it was further delayed. I started my talk with Kelsey off trying to get a clearer understanding of where the whole case is at, and she was kind enough to better illuminate the situation for us. Yeah, so the progress of our case has been um, the government attempting, the defendants, we'll call them the defendants, that's who they are. Um, our defendants have um, been fighting and working and spending their time and energy on trying to dismiss this case rather than put in the work to prepare for trial. Now, we've been hearing from 14 different judges at three levels of court. Our district court here in Eugene, um, District Judge Anakin, the Ninth Circuit judge, who we have based out of San Francisco, it's a three-judge appellate court, and then the Supreme Court. <laughs> so we, we've been, you know, our case has been petitioned to be delayed and then dismissed at the Supreme Court level. Now, from all of those judges, they've recognized that this case should go to trial, and they'd like this case to go to trial and go through normal proceeding before we throw this case out or hear, you know, uh, um, an, another type of proceeding. So the defendants have filed literally hundreds, hundreds of um, documents that my lawyers have tried, have had to respond to, that the courts have had to respond to in the process of trying to dismiss this case. Now we had a court date set for October 29th and the government was still trying to dismiss this case. When I took my de deposition this summer, every question was, if we get to trial, if we get to trial, not when, but if we do. So clearly the defendants have never expected or wanted to really to this case in court. And that's where they're spending their time and energy. Now, we, what we just saw on October 29th was um, the defendant submitting petitions at all three levels of court. Again, the district, Ninth Circuit, and the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, and um, it's, it's honestly exhausting to keep up. They, they just submitted and they, we just heard another response on Wednesday. So it's like very, it's a lot happening very fast. Um, but essentially what's happening is you're having a game of ping pong between the courts because the defendants are submitting this case at all three levels at the same time. This is not normal. This is not normal. This is called desperation. <laughs> right. And so we have the Supreme Court saying, no, this needs to be heard at the Ninth Circuit. We have... Um, the Ninth Circuit saying, I want this case to go to trial. Um, and then we have the trial, our, you know, our, our, our district judge saying, well, I can't, really, I can't really confirm a trial date until we have the other courts respond to these petitions to say. Uh -huh. So that's why we don't have a trial date set. And that's why the Supreme Court dismissed the case. They said, this isn't, 
there's no grounds for us to rule in this now. Now, what the court, what the defendants are, what the defendants keep submitting is this thing called a written mandamus. And a written mandamus, which is the Ninth Circuit is currently um, deciding on right now, and why we have a further delay on the case, a written mandamus is a is um essentially a very um I don't want to say uncommon because the defendants are using it. They filed six writ mandamuses, and these are pleas to the court to dismiss a case based on the defendant's extreme burden. So basically, it's a, attempting to dismiss our case and hear our complaints and our harms because the harms of the defendants and the process of the court of the court case is more extreme. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, that's a lot to try and unravel. Well, I mean, you said it though, right? It's desperation at this point, huh? It's desperation. I mean, they've argued every complaint under the sun. They've argued monetary harm. They've argued time harm, which I mean, is there BS because they're the ones who are putting all these stays. And they've even argued that this is um, distracting and extremely burdensome to the president. And so recently our district judge um, dismissed the president from this case. So, so this is, Tr Donald Trump is no longer a defendant on this case. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, because they, that was one of their arguments. Wow. That's very interesting. It's, it's truly... This, this case, our democracy, um, you know, the rights of young people and of future generations and uh, the stability of our climate system is truly uh, in the middle of a board game or card game or whatever kind of game you like to play. That's, that's what's happening with this case. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I typically like games, but this is ridiculous and our government is playing a pretty dirty game here. Uh, so how, how's it going otherwise though? What uh, have you been up to here uh, recently? Um, it's been a bit chaotic. I was just in DC I'm getting set up. I was just in DC last week and I flew back, um, you know, for Thanksgiving, whatever. Right. Um, but it's been a lot of travel recently, so it's like good to be, good to be home. Oh, that's nice. Is uh, that travel related to the trial itself, or is that something different? Yeah, yeah, most of it was. It was actually, um, I was speaking with the Government Accountability Project. Okay. Um, and so it was, and then I scheduled some meetings, representatives. I met with DeFazio's office and um, Merkley's office. Wow, you are moving and shaking. So the Government Accountability Project could you share a bit more about what you're doing with that and maybe inform our listeners a little more about what that's all about? That organization, um, essentially they support whistleblowers. So they're, I think 40, yeah, they're 40 years old. And um, Ralph Nader was one of the first people to kind of help initiate this group. Um, and Rick Piltz, he's a climate whistleblower. He's part of the organization or He's, he's deceased, but he was part of the organization. He launched the climate policy um, segment. 
or the climate segment, excuse me, of the organization. And they're essentially just a nonprofit based out of DC that provides um, legal support, uh, educational support, and some, I, there's like three prongs of the work that they do. I, I forget the third one, um, but they help whistleblowers. So people who are speaking truth about power that they're involved with, whether it be agencies or industries or, you know, financial groups. Sure. Well, that's really admirable work to be doing outside of the case. It seems like you've um, found yourself in this new scenario where you're more of a public figure and are taking on a lot, which is um, really cool, uh, beyond the climate case. That's um, both impressive and inspiring, uh, for sure. Are you feeling exhausted with it all, and are you getting comfortable with this less private role and more public role you're yeah. in? No, I think it's it's interesting because I've been doing this work with our children's trust for eight years now. It's a pretty substantial amount of time, um, but really a lot of, um, I mean, the federal case is only three years young. So it's been, it, for me, it's felt simultaneously like a really long journey that I've been on. And at the same time, all of a sudden it's just, so much happening so fast, it's hard to keep up with. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit exhausting. I think especially being a local plaintiff, um, like I, I travel all over, obviously I travel over the country. And I also have had international experiences. Um, and those have all been really amazing. It's, it's a blessing and a curse to be uh, local to this work though, because sometimes I feel like I haven't been able or I'm not able to live quote unquote, like a normal life. And I put a lot of things on hold to do this work. Um, again, a blessing and a curse. I think a lot of good work it can be done um, here in Eugene and is being done here in Eugene. But it's also hard because my parents are well known for their activism. And so it's not just me, it's like this family unit. Um, so anywhere I go, <laughs> you know, even quite literally like to the club, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to not have someone ask me about this work or ask about the case or, you know, congratulate me or whatever. I suppose that is a big difference in one's life. And, you know, this case just keeps to me seeming like it is getting more and more clear that, you know, the, the, um, information, the data is on your side. Just the day after Thanksgiving, we see that our own government, you know, drops this big mega report and the forecast, <laughs> the climate forecast. And that is not pretty. You know, and so that's perfect evidence f to submit for your case, I would think. I don't know, uh, you know, the ins and outs of it, but it seems like that would just be, you know, very clear evidence to support what you are uh, taking the government to trial for, right? Oh. No, no, no. Our evidence is all from the government. Right, right. Climate right. disaster is coming from the government. And it's spanning since the 1940s. That's what we're revealing in this case. 
This case is not about if the government believes climate change is an issue and getting them to do something about it. This case is about demanding that the government follow their own advice, look to their own knowledge, to the reports that they've been submitting since the 40s and the 50s about climate change and reprioritizing um, the needs of the people and the planet over their private interests. I mean, quite literally, our evidence is all coming from the government and the government has been calling climate change apocalyptic and catastrophic. And I mean, they predicted 10 feet sea level rise in the 60s. Again, these are not NGOs. These are White House officiated climate reports. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is, it's hard to wrap my brain around. <laughs> yeah. So our children's trust has a bunch of great things going on across the country and world. And then you're also a part of the uh, Earth Guardians, which is awesome. And I'm wondering, because you mentioned going to D.C. and, you know, uh, supporting other things, if there is any connections to such, I mean, like the Extinction Rebellion just happened, uh, the their mass protests in Europe, uh, shut down all the bridges in London, and, excuse me, and, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what... What do you what do you think is going to happen next? And you know, are you actively looking to engage with and support any other groups? And what's that what's that looking like right now? As the, as the climate trial is still kind of in this pause position. I mean, I think it's uh, it's it all goes hand in hand. So what you were just mentioning about the you know the, um, extinction awareness events that are happening all over Europe. I saw tens of thousands of people in London, maybe even a hundred, I'm not sure, but it was pretty, it was quite impressive. Um, and there are so many different you know, movements sparking up all over. Now, all of this is part of the climate movement. So all of the justice fights that people are engaging in you know, wherever they're engaging. So whether it be in the classroom, trying to, you know, educate young people, um, whether it be in the courtrooms or um, on the hall, in the halls of Congress, um, you know, with lobby groups, with um, different direct action campaigns, or just even in general movement building, like all of this coincides. All of this is part of the climate movement in my eyes, because climate change negatively affects and further exacerbates social injustices. So, it's, I mean, it's really all connected. It's not, I mean, even our case is not an environmental case. I don't think climate change is just an environmental issue. Um, it, it, it's all interconnected and you see that the most with climate devastation. Mm, but I think as far as like doing work or meeting with other groups, absolutely. Like it all comes hand in hand. Um, in the past week alone, I met with or did solidarity work with all types of different organizations and interest groups. And that's a beautiful thing. We're just building this, we're building this movement and we're building this network of people who are willing to fight for our future. I mean, we say fight for our future because climate change is an issue that 
we know for certain, even if we took action now, we will still be feeling the effects of in the future. So we, we say this is a future issue. We know for a fact our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will feel the effects of our actions with climate change. However, obviously, this is a present-day issue and this is a present-day um, crisis. That's why we're arguing we have grounds to sue because we, the people of the planet, you know, the young people, we're feeling the effects from climate change now. Ah, it's such a shitty situation. Uh, I mean, you're inheriting this reality that you didn't create, you know, and I, I mean, I'm, uh, it's frustrating. <laughs> I know people have been on the case for some time, but still. My parents were climate activists in the 90s. <laughs> that's awesome. Nothing new. <laughs> and that's unfortunate. Well, are you feeling like optimistic and inspired, run down? It's, you know, I mean, a lot. The delays keep coming, but as you just noted, there's still people and the movement is coalescing in so many ways and the momentum is really proving to show solutions. So that's awesome. So what do you think? I mean, absolutely. There's so much to be optimistic and hopeful for. And I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm exhausted. But as the, the minute that we start losing our hope and losing our fierce determination and you know, the possibility of young people, the possibility of building intersectional movements. The minute we lose that optimism and that hope, we're, we're only detrimental to ourselves and to our causes. And so, I mean, we can, we can be tired, we can be worn down, you know, we can have those moments of recluse of just, you know, sheltering ourselves, but we need to rem- keep our positivity, keep our hope. And that's something that's, that, that's why I'm still an activist, <laughs> you know, because I, I don't allow myself to burn out of my hope and of my, of my optimism for the future. Um, and I think right now it's, again, it's tiring, it's frustrating, it's incredibly disappointing to have all of these um, legal delays uh, with just this case that I'm a part of, but in terms of the broader, larger global movement, there is so much to be optimistic and so much to be excited for. I mean, even just, we, we, we talk a lot of shade about decision makers and our political leaders, but it's super exciting to realize that that could be, you know, that could totally be changing. Just with the people we put into office recently, I mean, I am so inspired by the amount of potential we have in our political leaders based on the people who showed up to elections and the people that we elected into those um, positions of power. Um, And obviously we're seeing a lot of incredible change. And just a a quick story for our local Oregonians. I mean, DeFazio came out when I was in DC, the day I met with his aides, he came out and said, I think, you know, um, um, AOC is what we call her, uh, Ocasio-Cortez's climate plan is uh, intangible and it's unrealistic and we, we don't we don't have the means to make this happen okay that was on friday 
on Monday, we were at his office in Eugene. We were at his office in DC and we protested and we said, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to meet with you. I met with his aide on Friday at 4 PM. And I said, I I need to be really honest with you. I helped reelect DeFazio, but I will not stand for his unwillingness to think, you know, um, think broad and think aggressive about what can we do about the climate issue in all facets of our of our um, government committees and all facets of our societal structures. Like what can we talk, what can we do and how can we think about the climate, um, about climate change? And Monday afternoon, he issued a statement saying, okay, I will do whatever needs to, whatever it needs to happen, whatever it takes, I will act on climate. Wow. We're talking about days and people, people holding our government um, uh, officials accountable, people holding themselves accountable and people not being deterred. So I don't know. That's super rad. Uh, I love AOC. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is super duper uh, inspiring and just a powerhouse coming in to shake things up, which is totally needed. And bringing this Green New Deal forward with such passion is what is needed, like, absolutely right now. So, yeah, like you said, there are things to be encouraged about and optimistic about. There's a long road ahead and a lot of uh, reform, if not full outright revolution, um, in our current infrastructure and systems that needs to take place with racial equity and the social justice foundations that will ultimately support a sustainable future. But, um, yeah, uh, well, well put. Thank you. <laughs> I'm wondering if you don't mind just sharing a little bit more about the, um, relationship with like our children's trust and earth guardians and the work that, uh, Shutezkot has been up to and, I don't know. I'm just so curious about, I'm like inspired by the youth and this case in a lot of ways. And I'm just wondering like, if you really believe in our current democratic system and the courts and the ability for this to, to really make a difference. Um, <laughs> could you uh, speak to that? No, I, I, I really do. I mean, I don't think our government is going to fail us. Mm. Yeah, I, I. This is what our government was created to do. I mean, our government was. They created these three branches because. I don't want to say they expected, but certainly they understood that the possibility of corruption within any of the branches was possible. And so this system is designed, I mean, our government is designed to um, check each other. And so far, our uh, judicial branch has not failed. And I don't understand why, I don't see why it would fail us now. Um, Especially because the responses from from the judges that we've had, again, those 14 different judges at all levels of courts in our country, the response has been these children have a right to to go to trial. Um, We want to see this case go through. And now's the time to do it. Like, absolutely. 
Right. And again, it's, it's, I've been, I've been part of this legal process for eight years. And that case, the Oregon case that I've been on since 2011 is still pending. And it's, it's taken so long because it's one judge who feels like he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the jurisdiction to rule on climate. And he wants the federal government or some other higher judge to rule on this issue because it has been so far politicized in the other branches. And he's an ex-legislator. And so I've been with that case for eight years. And in only three years of time, we have made so much progress with, with this case. We've heard this case at different courts. We have had this case in front of all three courts. Um, and it's because of the judges. Because they, they understand the urgency of this case and they want us to, they want this case to be heard. Yes. I can dig it. And then just uh, going back again, just to the Our Children's Trust and Earth Guardians, and then maybe if you could just touch on how your name ended up being on the case, since there are 21 plaintiffs involved. A um, couple questions in one there. Okay, basically Earth Guardians is part of Our Children's Trust and part of this case because they've had... Um, they've been collaborating since 2010. Chitesca is one of um, my, like one of the first generation um, plaintiffs with our children's trust. So just like I launched a case in 2011 in Oregon, he launched a case in Colorado in 2011 as well. So we were that part of that initial um, launch of cases all in, in, in every state in the US. Now, mine's the only one that's still pending. Um, Shetesca has since refiled the case with another group of co-plaintiffs against fracking in Colorado. But so you can see there's, there's like a longstanding relationship between Earth Guardians and Our Films Trust. And also they wanted an action-oriented youth-led group to be part of this movement so that in the meantime, while, you know, Our Films Trust is helping support youth litigation on climate, there could be other people. You can't just add all like, if people want to, people come up to me all the time and say, I want to be part of this case. I want to be a plaintiff on this case. Um, so it, it's great to have another outlet that they can plug into and engage with. Um, and that's Earth Guardians. Um, as far as my name being on the case, that just sort of was most strategic. I've been with this organization since 2011. I have a lot of um, experience, you know, having been to court four times just with my state case. Um, I've done a lot of advocacy work on behalf of our children's trust and that was already established before the federal case. Um, I'm from the place that this organization is run out of and the place that we're filing this case. So there's some name recognition there. Um, I'm also the oldest. So there's that, I think that added level of responsibility that I'm very willing to take on being the oldest, um, kind of having a long history with this organization, et cetera. Oh, okay. So you're all involved at the same level, right? I'm the name plaintiff, but in no way am I the lead plaintiff. And I think those get used interchangeably, but mm -hmm. cool. it's that's important. I, the, I'm the named, as in that's like the name yep. of the key. But besides that, we're all equal co-plaintiffs. 
well, that makes sense, and that's really cool. And uh, I would totally be stoked to, you know, follow up with you after this trial actually starts taking shape and is really happening, and then uh, we can connect again, and you can share some updates with me. That would be super awesome. This is good because you'll have this piece to get the Portland crowd fired up, and then once we get there, they can actually be like, oh yeah, I remember I heard that a long time ago. Holy shit, it's so cool. <laughs> yes. Ah, Kelsey Juliana, folks. It was so great to chat with her recently. Please stay tuned for updates on the case, and when the trial actually does get going again, we'll uh, make sure to have Kelsey back on the program. On a personal note, it's been a rough couple weeks here, but overall I'm grateful in so many ways, but it really has been a doozy. (laughs) And I'm trying to prep myself for the flight I'm about to get on, uh at the butt crack of dawn tomorrow and head over to the Philippines for the 11th annual global RCE conference, regional centers of expertise conference, where I'll be presenting about uh, the work actually being done on this very podcast. It's quite an honor to go and represent on behalf of our local regional center of expertise, that being greater Portland, or as the public knows it, Gibson which is the Greater Portland Sustainability Education Network. I'll be sure to share more updates about this conference and what I learned there in the coming weeks. Big thanks to Kelsey Juliana for joining me on the program. The intro music was by my darling wife, Rachel Robinson, and the additional music was by my good man, Nathaniel Talbot. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by me, Joe Colhane. Thanks for tuning in, and as Nathaniel is saying in this song, it's going to take a woman's intuition to get us on track. group they their catchphrase is climate change is a man-made issue but it'll have a feminist solution yes